11 Personnel is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. The great thing about that GameTime app, you don't even have to have a concert in mind, a game in mind. Maybe you're just looking for something to do on a Tuesday night. Maybe you got a date coming up over the weekend. You don't have particular plans. Go on that Game Time app. It shows you some of the big events, games, concert shows in your area. It shows you recommendations based on things that you've checked out in the past. And then it couldn't be simpler. You can see your seats right from the app. Two taps, you've got your tickets, and you're on your way. If something comes up, can't go to the show, can't go to the game, two more taps, and they're sold. It couldn't be any easier. So go ahead and check out that GameTime app. It's simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in Google Play or the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome, Rams fans, to the latest episode of the 11 Personnel Podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Rich Hammond, Rams beat writer for The Athletic, joined in a second here by Jake Reiner from CBS2 Los Angeles, and we're going to recap for you, Rams fans, uh, very exciting, uh, very interesting, uh, very compelling, and ultimately optimistic, I would say, game for the Rams, a big victory over the Seattle Seahawks in every way. 28-12, to 12, did not see that margin of victory coming at all. And just a big victory because it uh, keeps the Rams alive in that uh, playoff race. They still have some work to do, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, the implications for the victory and, and what still needs to happen. Uh, but Jake... We had this debate, uh, the writers up in the, up in the press box a little bit. I, I know you were downstairs, uh, you know, doing your, doing your tapes and and uh, your, your shots for the for the late night show. But we we had the debate: was it the most complete win of the Rams season, or was it merely the best win? That's an interesting question. Because. Last week, we talked about the Arizona game being the most complete victory of the season. Right. So you can kind of compare the two. It's hard to say it was the most complete victory because I feel like Jared Goff throwing a two picks, one of them being a pick six, and there were some miscues there. I feel like the Arizona game was just a cleaner game throughout. I I would argue that this game was obviously more important and more thrilling. So I would say, I would argue it's the best game of the season. Last night was the best game of the season, not ne- not necessarily the most complete game. Right. I, I joined this argument a little bit later. I, I, won't, uh, I won't name the writers involved because I don't know if they want their names specifically mentioned. But writer A took, took your stance, uh, which was the Arizona game was a complete game across the board, offense, defense, special teams. Um, and, and this game, as you said, Jake had some, had some bumps uh, two interceptions from Jared Goff. There was a blocked field goal. Uh, you know, the offense for a lot of the second half didn't, didn't move the ball very well. I took the other side. I said it was, I said it was the most complete victory of the season. And I said that just because of the quality of opponent. Now that Arizona game, I'm sorry for anybody who might, you know, be related to anybody in the Arizona Cardinals organization, but that, that's, that just wasn't a very good team. It wasn't, it wasn't a great team and they played a terrible game. I don't, I don't even think they had a good game plan. It was just a, a very, very bad afternoon for, for the Arizona Cardinals. So I, I kind of grade on a curve. And, and I say, you know, you should be pretty close to perfect when, when you play a team like that that isn't playing very well. In, in this game, I, I mean, I thought the Rams were going to lose. I predicted them to lose. So uh, to, to see what they did against Seattle, I don't expect them to be perfect against Seattle. I, I do expect some blips. But I guess the way I would look at it, Jake, is, is they so far exceeded my expectations across the board. I did not expect the Rams' offense to move the ball the way that it did, especially early in the game, going down, scoring two quick touchdowns. I certainly did not expect the defense to dominate the Seahawks like that and just turn Russell Wilson uh, basically into into a non-entity. So I, I guess I'm, I may be influenced a little bit by that, but I, I, we can go either way with it. But it certainly was the best win of the season, right? Oh, I mean, no we, doubt. We look, 
Yeah, I mean, we look at some of the other wins, and uh, the Rams, I, I don't know, had they beaten a quality team th- this year? They beat the Saints, but they didn't have Drew Brees for most of that game. So uh, we can be a, an agreement on that, right, that that uh, across the board, uh, it, it was an impressive effort. Without a doubt. And I also think that if they win, if they won last night, didn't matter what the score was, it was going to be a, a good victory in the playoff picture in their momentum moving forward. But I think just the way that they won, just the full dominance of the defense, the the ability to try some things on offense that they have not done this season. I, I wouldn't say they were new things that they tried because McVay has done this in the past, but just the freedom to know that, hey, our defense is, is going to be able to shut this down if we try this and try that is, is an amazing feeling to, to, to play that way. And you could see it on the players' faces. They were feeling themselves last night. And I, I think the, the way in which they won, the commanding way in which they won, did, did a lot more than just, than just the win, if that makes sense. Yes, it would have it would have been a huge huge deal if they won anyway. But just just the manner in which they did it. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I agree hundred percent with that. And I think Sean McVay had an excellent game. I mean, we we've sit here and I think we've been fair in in terms of you know praising Sean's play calling and his schemes when they've been good and criticizing them when they've been bad. And there's been a good amount of both this season. But to me, this this was a high. And he, he did exactly what he needed to do in that game. I was very impressed. They, I didn't know exactly how they were going to come out. You know, a couple of weeks ago against Chicago, you saw a lot of that 12 personnel, two tight ends, and, and they ran the ball a lot. They were almost exclusively in, in 12 personnel. And the last week, different scenario against Arizona because they knew they could throw the ball more. So it, it was back to more 11 personnel and kind of, you know, winging the ball around like, like the old Rams. So I, I didn't know where they were going to go with this. And, and the answer was they were pretty much square in the middle. They came out uh, a lot of two tight end sets, but also mixed in that, that 11 personnel, uh, mostly in pass situations. But, but that's the thing, Jake. They didn't, th- there was nothing predictable about what they did. And sometimes when you watch a team as, as often as we do, or you watch a specific play caller as often as we do, sometimes you can start to pick up on trends or you see things and you go, okay, I think this is going to be such and such. This is going to be a run or this is going to be a screen pass or this is, they're going to look for something here. I, to me, Jake, I, I can't remember a game where I was less certain of what was going to happen. I literally didn't know, even looking at personnel, looking at formations. He did such a good job of mixing in those jet sweeps, mixing in the play action, just playing running the ball. I, I mean, it, it was uh, it was a very impressive performance. There is something about Sean McVay and Seattle, even going back to his, his first season. He has always found a way to move the ball against the Seahawks, other than I think his very, very first game where they only scored uh, 10 points, I think it was. But other than that, they've found a way to, to move the ball against the Seahawks. So I don't know what it is, uh, something about that scheme or some of that personnel, but uh, I was impressed, Jake, just with some of the things that you said, like the the, the plays that they ran, they, they were running that offense with confidence. It was like they couldn't wait to get back to the line of scrimmage and, and see what they could do against that Seattle defense. It's one thing to fool the reporters in the press box and keep us off balance. It's another thing to fool the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson entirely. And I couldn't help but think... Right. Man, where what where has this been? Where has this team been? We know that this team is capable of doing this type of stuff, not only running these plays but executing them to pretty pr- pretty much perfection. So you have to wonder if the Rams were able to do this to the Seattle Seahawks, one of the best teams in the NFC, why weren't they able to do this to all of the the opponents that they face so far? You said this was arguably the, the toughest team that they've had to face so far this season, and yet they lost to Pittsburgh. They lost to Tampa Bay. And we talked a lot about Todd Gurley, you know, using him, not using him has been, you know, you kind of determine whether or not they, you know, do well versus when they don't do well. It's it's been the debate throughout the throughout the whole season. But man, it's I, I guess I'll pose this to you, Rich. 
why do you why do you think this is the first time we've sort of seen the old Rams of 2017 and 2018? Yeah, I, I think it's maybe a combination of three things that that they've put together, and a lot of it I think starts with Sean McVay. I mean, we've talked a lot about the offensive line this season, and I think going to that 12 personnel uh, helps a lot. I mean, you, you look at, I mean, they look like a, a 1950s offense at times with the number of guys they had lined up across the line of scrimmage. And, you know, Andrew Whitworth mentioned it after the game when I talked about him. He said it's like a, it's like a Christmas present for, for a left tackle when he's usually out there on an island. And, and now all of a sudden he's got, you know, Johnny Munt or, or Tyler Higby next to him and uh, to help set that edge. And uh, especially on some of those jet sweeps or even on the runs, like when, you know, Todd Gurley Early scored his, his touchdown. So the, I think Sean's doing a better job of, of protecting or, or helping out that offensive line in certain situations. And then the balance is there. I, they were, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I believe it was like 33 passes and 33 runs or 31 runs. Uh, it was within two, no matter what it was. And, and, and that's one of the things that I think we mentioned before is you, you have to stick with that run game. Because that's what allows you to, to open up some of that other stuff, especially the play action stuff that, that they're able to do. And, you know, the, the, the run plays aren't always there, uh, especially, you know, early, even I think early into the third quarter, they were only averaging about 3.3, 3.5 yards per rush. So it's, it's not like the, the running game was just breaking off these, these big plays. But they stayed with it, and, and they kept that thought in Seattle's head that, that they might run the ball, that they could run the ball. And then that, that was able to open up some other things. Tyler Higby, it opened up Cooper Cup, it opened up Robert Woods. Uh, and then the final thing, Jake, as I would say, is Jared Goff, you know, and it's fair. Again, I, th- I think we kind of got the full measure of Jared Goff in this game, so maybe we can transition just to talking about him uh, a little bit. Um, Jared Goff in the first half was stellar. I mean, you, you just look at him independently of, of everything else going on. Watch some of, if, if anybody has the ability to go back and watch the game or even watch certain throws, watch the confidence that he plays with. And this is the thing, this has always been my thing with Jared this year. Watch the way that he is able to stand in the pocket or the way that he's able to roll out. Just even watch his body language. Look at where his eyes are. Look at where his feet are. Look at how he's stepping into throws. And and that's the Jared Goff that we saw in 2017 and 2018. Then you got to the second half and you started to see the other <laughs> stuff creep back in. You know, the, the pressure got a little bit a little bit more. He, he was never really under siege, but the, the pressure was a little bit more intense. And he started to make some poor throws. He, he threw two interceptions. Now, Jake, I want to get your take on both of those interceptions because I didn't necessarily, I'm not going to ding Jared too hard on, on either one of those. One of them, I think, was a pure miscommunication with Robert Woods. It looked like he was trying to lead Robert and, uh, and, and Woods just broke that up, or broke that off and just kind of sat down and was waiting for a pass. So I don't know who was wrong on that play. It could easily have been Jared. Um, but something happened there. That wasn't just a bad throw. And then the the one that went down to the three-yard line, yeah, it, it was a third down. I don't like the interception. I don't think you ever throw an interception. But, uh, you know, some, somebody was saying it's, you know, it's basically a, like a punterception because you get it down to the three-yard line, so it's almost like a, a coffin corner punt. But I don't like that either. I it, You know, pick up the first down or – you know, pick up a few yards and kick a field goal or something like that. But what what did you think, Jake? I mean, it, to me, it almost seemed like two different halves. But in all, I thought that was a pretty good game for Jared Goff. I agree. And I had tweeted uh, at the end of the first half. I said, it's almost as if before week 13 versus Arizona, the Rams acquired the 2017-2018 Jared Goff. He looked that confident. He looked that strong. And then, boom, you start the second half with a pick six. And I was thinking, oh, no, like the tale of two Goffs. Here we go. You know, it's going to, you know, Seattle's going to come back and Russell Wilson's going to find it. But man, it just a, it's just a true testament to the, how well the defense was playing. That you can look at two interceptions that Jared Goff threw, that Jared Goff threw, and say they weren't that significant. I think in any other game this season, you would say that those were two glaring 
blunders from from Goff. But in but but we're talking about this today. We're debating whether or not they really mattered in the grand scheme. It turned out they didn't because that pick six was the only touchdown that Seattle scored the entire game. But like you said, the other interception was like a punt almost. It was nice, good field position. He put the he put the Rams in good field position defensively, and and put them put the back the Seattle Ram the Seattle Rams the Seattle Seahawks in their own territory. So, yeah, they, it wasn't it wasn't a complete disaster because Goff was able to recover and the Rams were able to put the Seahawks away, but it. It almost, I don't know if you had the same thought as I, I did, but when he threw that pick six, I was thinking, oh no, here we go. Like, I, you know, it's, it's, I really hope this is not what we think is going to happen. And it, and it didn't end up hurting them that badly in the grand scheme. Yeah. And a lot of that is because of the, the defense. And I know we'll, we'll get to that uh, in a minute. But yeah, I, I felt the same way. And I mean, I, you know, we talked about it on the last episode. I've, so much respect for that Seattle team. So yeah, when when they cut it down like that, and even when it was a twelve point game going into the fourth quarter, I'm sitting there going, the Seahawks can easily win this game, uh, and and that's why my my story today um, for the Athletic on the on the app and the website was kind of focused on that 95 yard drive uh, where they where they really came by. The Rams had, had did nothing on offense essentially in the in the third quarter. They they were a minus seven. Their offense was a minus seven in the third quarter because of that pick six, and then they had a blocked field goal and and a punt and and that other interception so they really did they, they really kind of got stopped and it's hard to come back like that I mean when you're just when you're stalled out when you've uh, not really gotten anything at all out of out of four consecutive drives and then you take over at the five yard line your own five and uh, to to do what they did I, I thought that was so impressive and, and really we kind of encapsulated everything that we're talking about Jared Goff was very good on that drive, Sean McVay's, uh, you know, groupings and, and play calling were, were very good on that drive. Tyler Higby, Robert Woods, Todd Gurley. I mean, all of these people stepped up on uh, really to me was was the most important drive of the game. But uh, yeah, to, to finish the thought on Jared Goff, 22 of 31 293 yards, two touchdowns, and then the, the two interceptions. So um, very good first half. The ball barely hit the ground. Uh, one of them, I think, was dropped, and one of them was batted. Uh, so so he was very good. The other guy we need to talk about, Jake, is Todd Gurley. And uh, I think you mentioned on the podcast, if not, I, I definitely mentioned it in uh, my story before the game, was a, a big key to me was Todd Gurley getting 100 yards from scrimmage. The, the, they had played the Seahawks five times under Sean McVay. In the three wins, Todd Gurley had gotten to 100 yards. In the two losses, he did not. Well, what did he do? 79 rushing yards on 23 attempts and 34 receiving yards on four receptions. So uh, I'm no math major. I think that's 113. So that he, he did get there, and uh, the Rams won. So that that holds up. But, Jake, we had an interesting conversation uh, before the game. You were uh, gracious to have me on the CBS2 uh, Sports Central, where we, we did a little bit of a live hit. And we talked about uh, the report that had come out a, a few hours earlier, where Ian Rappaport from NFL Network talked about, you know, Todd Gurley, I think bell cow was the, was the term he used. Todd Gurley was going to be the Rams bell cow and that, the, you know, they'd kind of been waiting for this time to, to unleash him and all the restrictions were, were going to be off. Well, 23 carries uh, is, is a good number. That's more than Todd has had at any, uh, well, I guess he, he got there once, but uh, it's unusual for him to, to have that many carries back to back and really three times now in the last four weeks He's, he's had some pretty heavy usage, usage. So I think we're starting to get the answer here, right, Jake? I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, like a mystery novel. It's, it's slowly revealing itself in, uh, in, in chapters. And, and here we are. And I think with three games left, it's, it's pretty fair to say that uh, whatever the Rams think they need to do with Todd Gurley, uh, they're going to do it. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that nothing has made sense so far this season. Everything that we're seeing on the field, everything that we're asking Sean McVay and the numerous press conferences that he's had, and coupled with the report from Ian Rappaport, it just, my my brain is having a tough time wrapping itself around what's been going on with Todd Gurley this season. 
But hey, if the Rams are able to win out or at least win two of the next three games and make the playoffs, I think all is forgiven. Because when the Rams, it's no secret that when the Rams give the ball to Gurley and either rely on him heavily or have him be a focal point of the offense, they win. They don't win every time, but they win consistently. And he not only had a nice game on the ground, but he also had four catches for 34 yards. So he was uh, a factor in the pass game as well. And to kind of epitomize what this game was, I thought was the stiff arm that Gurley had on Trey Flowers to cap off that 95-yard drive you were talking about in your story, Rich. The seven-yard touchdown at the end there where he got out to the edge and he had that classic stiff arm on Trey Flowers and able to get into the end zone. The Rams social media team posted a picture of of that moment of the stiff arm, and I just sort of thought that epitomized what the Rams were able to do to the Seattle Seahawks that night. It sort of uh, captured everything that happened that night. They basically stiff-armed the entire team and were able to come out with a commanding victory. And it was so it was fitting that Todd Gurley was the one to do that because the Rams needed him. They needed him to win this game. And they've needed him all season. And when he's come through, they've won. So... If if this is the if this is the formula moving forward, I'm behind it. I, I think it is, Jake. And you know, Sean can <laughs> Sean can say uh, what he needs to say in in press conferences and and things like that about you know there's there hasn't been a plan or, or whatever. I uh, I don't believe that, and uh, that's that's okay. Sean's doing what what he needs to to do, and he said what he needed to say. But I, I think what we're seeing here is. You, you're seeing whether it's Sean as a play caller or whether it's it's the Rams offense in in general. You're seeing things get back to normal, just in terms of knowing what they can do. It's not that they're always going to execute or that the play calls are always going to be perfect or whatever, but they can use Todd Gurley now the way that they used to use him. There's no uh, you know whatever you want to call it restrictions, plan, pitch count. Load management, whatever phrase you want to use, uh, it, it seems like the Rams are now at the point where if you need Todd Gurley, you use Todd Gurley. And 23 carries and another four receptions. So that's 27 touches, and, and that's a lot uh, for Todd Gurley or, or for anybody. But you look at it, Jake, and the last four games now, which which includes a Baltimore game where he barely got the ball, but the last four games he's had 73 uh, rushing attempts in the, in the first nine games he only had 104. So he, he's cl- clearly something has changed here uh, since, you know, let's say let's say the late part of, of last month. And at this point, I, I suspect that, that it will continue to go forward. W- will he get, you know, 27 touches every week? I, I don't know about that. That's a lot. I don't even know whether that's necessarily a smart thing to do for, for any running back. But, but I think they've now reached the point where, uh, again, if they need Todd Gurley in certain situations, there's, there's not going to be any hesitation or any, uh, you know, sticking to a rotation or anything like that. So, Jake, let's, let's put a, a capper on the offense, uh, maybe, maybe go through a little bit of a, a lightning round here. I want to mention a couple guys who, uh, other guys who stood out to me, and, and uh, please feel free to do the same. But, uh, uh, Josh Reynolds shows up uh, even in the run game with with three of those jet sweep runs and uh, for 29 yards. You, you've seen Josh as a part of the offense, but uh, hadn't really seen a whole lot of him in that role. And, and I thought he was effective and uh, even had a seven yard run on that 95 yarder, uh, 95 yard drive that that we mentioned. So he was big. Uh, Tyler Higby again. I mean, just ditto everything that we said uh, last week uh, when he when he had that big game against the Cardinals. He was even bigger in this game. Seven uh, receptions, 116 yards. And uh, Cooper Cup, I'll, I'll end with this one for me because I've been waiting for three years for Cooper Cup to throw a pass. I knew he had it in him. <laughs> he was a, a quarterback growing up. 
knew he had a good arm and I was got to say I was disappointed it, it was there it was the Cooper's got to take a little bit of oh, heat yeah. off the fastball because uh, he he had it there he had a touchdown but uh, a little bit more air under that thing or, or maybe a different target and uh, it, it probably would have been there so I, I don't know whether we'll see that again but I've been waiting I knew at some point we were going to see Cooper Cup throw a pass uh, I was a little surprised in that situation uh, but um, it didn't quite work out so so, Jake, any final thoughts on the offense? Uh, just a final thought on Cooper Cup. I think what we found out is that he's more of a pocket passer yeah. than a guy that can roll out because he made that throw on the run. And I think Tyler Higby was sort of standing there being like, well, I could have had one touchdown. I was, I was standing there waiting for it. And uh, unfortunately... Uh, didn't happen. But again, it's a true, it's a testament to how the defense was playing, that the offense could try a play like that and fail. Um, and then, uh, you know, Zerline and, ends up getting his, his field goal blocked, but uh, that didn't seem to matter either uh, because the defense was playing so well. Again, on, on Tyler Higby, though, I, I think it, it's worth noting that this was the first time in his career that he's had back-to-back 100-plus yard uh, receiving games. And that's because in back-to-back games, he's reached new career highs. The game against Arizona the previous week, he had 107, like you mentioned. That was a career high. And then he topped himself with 116 receiving yards last night, a new career high for him. McVay's working him into the offense. He was open a lot last night. He was a huge part of that 95-yard touchdown uh, touchdown drive that you mentioned in your story, Rich. And uh, utilizing the the tight end, he, normally you see him in the uh, in the run blocking game, but having him go out for passes and being effective as he is, I think uh, the Rams have may have found something again in him, which is really nice to see. And then Robert Woods, congratulations to him. His first uh, re- uh, receiving touchdown of the season last night. Uh, it's kind of remarkable that he uh, didn't have one so far this season. And I think in our last podcast, I said, or at least I, I think I said it on the air, maybe for CBS, I'm not sure, but I definitely spoke it into existence <laughs> that he was not going to, finished the season without a receiving touchdown. So he had one last night. But also, this is the fourth game in a row for Robert Woods that he's recorded at least 95 receiving yards. He has been a huge uh, factor in the offense. Even if he hasn't uh, put up the the points, so to speak, in the end zone, he has moved the offense down the field with uh, his catching ability, but also on those jet sweeps. Um, it, it, he had a, had a really nice game. He had uh, two carries for 29 yards on the the ground. So Robert Woods, Tyler Higbee, Cooper Cup, also a career high. He's the first time in his career he's had uh, seven career, uh, uh, seven touchdowns in a season. So um, a lot of career highs last night. The offense did a really nice job. Yeah, to, to put a, a point on the tight ends, I think it's be good for us to talk about um, on, on Friday before we uh, preview the, the Rams and Cowboys. Is I, I'm intrigued by the tight ends now. The Rams have played two consecutive opponents here, Arizona and Seattle, who don't do a good job of covering tight ends. And that's not a one-game thing. It's been a little bit of a trend for both of those teams. So uh, a little bit curious how the Rams handle this going forward because Gerald Everett presumably will be a part of the picture again. He's He missed another game because of that knee injury, and, and we don't know a whole lot uh, about his short-term uh, prognosis and whether you know when he might be able to come back. But the Rams have got something going here with with Tyler Higbee and, and Johnny Munt, and, and, and not only in the past game obviously uh, Tyler's put up huge numbers like you just said Jake and but you know running that 12 personnel with those two guys who can who can block very well uh, Gerald uh, Gerald Everett has a very strong skill set but he's not a, he's not known for his run blocking uh, I think we could put it that way um, so he, it's a different it's a different skill set so I don't I don't know how much the Rams want to mess with that or whether they think they can do similar things against teams like the Cowboys and the 49ers uh, it'll be interesting to see because they have something going here but I don't know whether it's the exact path uh, going forward. So we'll go into the, we'll get into that a little bit more on on Friday. But Jake, I, I want you to uh, talk about the defense a little bit here. I, I was kind of focused on the offensive guys because I, I knew that's what I was writing about. But I thought that was an outstanding defensive uh, performance. And and really, you know, we we started the episode here talking about 
you know, best versus most complete or, or whatever. But I, I don't care what tag you want to put on this one for the Rams defense. It was outstanding. Uh, you know, keeping the Seahawks offense out of the end zone entirely. The job that they did on Russell Wilson, I mentioned it during the last episode. If you can get Russell Wilson to the ground, you're probably going to win the game. And they did. They got five sacks and moreover did not allow him to do, for the most part, did not allow him to to do that kind of freelancing, uh, you know, ducking under stuff and, and finding guys 30 yards down the field. They were disciplined, good communication. They tackled well. And and Jake, I know you talked to a couple guys in the locker room uh, who who were impressed. And and what did they have to say about uh, to what to me was a just a complete defensive performance? It was a complete defensive performance. Uh, one thing that Michael Brocker said ab- about facing another mobile quarterback because this is the third one in a row with Lamar Jackson, then Kyler Murray, then Russell Wilson. He he said, with the exception of San Francisco, our whole division is mobile quarterbacks. So they better get used to trying to defend these guys. They did a really nice job on Russell Wilson. And to put this into perspective, Rich, this is the first time this season Russell Wilson has been held to without a touchdown pass. And it's also the first time a defense has kept a Russell Wilson-led offense out of the end zone since week one of the 2017 season. That's a 46-game streak that ended uh, last night. So to really put all of this in perspective, it was a truly dominant performance by this defense. You talked about the five sacks that they had on Russell Wilson, and it felt like, and you can comment on this too, Rich, it felt like there were guys in the backfield all night, multiple guys, whether it was Aaron Donald, whether it was Samson Abukam who had two sacks, Dante Fowler Jr. had one and a half sacks. He now has eight and a half on the season. That's a career high. It was constant. Throughout the night, these guys were able to pressure Russell Wilson and he wasn't able to wiggle his way out of it. And they completely shut him down. He couldn't really do much on offense. And I think another point uh, that, I, that I'd like to make about this is one of the reasons they were able to pressure Russell Wilson as much as they were able to do it is something that Clay Matthews pointed out about Jalen Ramsey. And you talk about guys not show, not necessarily showing up on the stat sheet, but showing up in an intangible way, in, in a way that you know their presence is felt even though they don't show up in the box score. Jalen Ramsey, because Jalen Ramsey is able to play man-to-man coverage the way, he, the way he is and the way he's able to take out the other team's best receiver, he was all over DK Metcalf last night. Clay Matthews made the point that because he he's able to cover the other team's best receiver and the Rams are able to play man-to-man coverage, they can basically allow the four-man rush to do what they do best, which is penetrate the line and put pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, there, there's no question. I, it, that's it's it's gone exactly, eh, not exactly. It's it's gone very much the way the Rams hoped it would. I mean, it's certainly the Baltimore game stands out as a as an outlier, perhaps. Uh, but since Jalen has come in, it, it changes the way that that they're able to play. And, and it's not just Aaron Donald. I mean, people look at when the Rams get sacks, and usually you know the first name they they look at is Aaron. But but that pressure that that they're able to bring from the outside with Dante Fowler and, and some of those other guys, uh, it's it's a, it's a more complete defense now. And I, I didn't know whether it was going to work. To be honest, when you when you talk about changing your secondary so much, I didn't know whether Troy Hill was was going to be capable of uh, of holding down that that full time starting job. But uh, he he's played very well. He's been very consistent as that other cornerback, and and it just frees them up to do so many different things. And and yeah, Jake, to, to me, it's it's. I I predicted and I'll I'll own it. Uh, I predicted that the Seahawks are going to win 28-24. I, I I thought the Rams would get somewhere in that range. They ended up with 28, so they again, they exceeded my expectations, but uh, to to have that type of performance that the Rams defense did was was absolutely stellar to me. And, and I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll flip it back a little bit. We talk a lot about Sean McVay and his play calling and how at times when things don't go 
exactly right in, at the start in terms of the run game. If, if they're not running the ball with the type of productivity that you'd like, that oh, they kind of get away from it. Or when they fall into a deficit or when it's a close game, tend to throw the ball around a little bit. Well, look at what Seattle did last night. Now, the Rams, and, and this was a rare game, I think, well, rare this season, where the Rams offense helped set the tone in this game and and set the 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 table for the Rams defense because what happened is the Rams jump out with with two quick touchdowns they go up 21 to 3 and it just completely took Seattle out of what they like to do they love to be able to to run the ball to to take time off the clock uh certainly they have a guy in Russell Wilson who can who can make plays but uh, their bread and butter is is moving that ball on on the ground and and uh, they only ran the ball 21 times. Five of those were from from Russell. So Chris Carson only had 15 carries. Russell Wilson threw the ball 36 times. That's that's not that's that's not the type of balance that Seattle usually likes to have. And uh, you look at it in, in in hindsight, you go, wow. I mean. I'm looking at Chris Carson here. He averaged five yards per rush, and and I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if they went away from that uh, a little bit too soon. But but obviously they were they were in a 21-3 hole, and um, you know they needed to do something. They they did not have Rashad Penny. He had to leave very early in the game uh, w- with a knee injury. So obviously not an ideal uh, situation for. Uh, for that Seattle offense. But to me, Jake, it, it came down to to communication and, and discipline. Those were two things that when you look at how the Rams played Lamar Jackson in that Baltimore game, they were just all over the place. They looked like they were having trouble you know, uh, with assignments and who, who was supposed to pick up who. And, and then obviously the tackling wasn't there. Um, but we've now seen in two consecutive weeks with the way that they handled Kyler Murray and, and the way that they handled uh, Russell Wilson last night, uh, just just an outstanding uh, you know a, a template for for the way that they would uh, like to to handle quarterbacks like that. Now, the challenge changes a little bit uh, because you know they're playing teams like Dallas and and San Francisco over the next couple of weeks. That uh, again, uh, you know, different styles, different quarterbacks, uh, different schemes, and that sort of thing. But I don't think you can argue, Jake, with with what you've seen from this Rams defense over uh, really since that trade, right? Yeah, you mean the, since the Jalen Ramsey trade? Yeah, absolutely, and and changing that whole secondary, really. Yeah, changing the whole secondary. Uh, this defense has been outstanding, and we talked about it a little bit earlier on in this episode, but just the complete and utter dominance of this defense was able to free up the offense and this defense has kept the Rams in the playoff hunt no doubt about it the offense has only recently come around to starting starting to gel and it's either a, a case of better late than never or it's too late. So we're, we're still trying to figure that part out. But this defense has been really, really solid all season long. And they've kicked it into another gear here. And freeing up the offense is a really was a really nice thing to see last, last night because they were able to try certain things and even the miscues weren't as glaring as they normally are in every other game we've seen this year because the defense was able to completely stop Seattle. And you mentioned the knee injury to Rashad Penny, I think really hurt Seattle because Pete Carroll loves to run the ball. He got both Rashad Penny and Chris Carson going in the in the previous week when they beat the Vikings. And that's the style of play that Pete Carroll likes to use. And he wasn't able to do that. I don't think it was only because they didn't have Rashad Penny. I think it was a combination of that. And and also um, the pressure that the front was able to put on Russell Wilson. And the coverage that they had in the secondary was uh, uh, amazing. And, uh, you know, DK Metcalf had a nice game. He had 78 yards. But the the rest of the team didn't really do much. Uh, Tyler Lockett, Lockett, another guy that uh, Russell Wilson likes to go to, he didn't have that uh, great of a game, only four catches for 43 yards. They were were tremendous. And the other the other note is that they were uh, Seattle was five of 14 on third down. 
So they weren't able to move the ball when they needed to. And it was just a, a complete a complete performance from them, from the defense. Yeah, those those third down numbers are always ones that, that jump out to me. Um, and here's a, here's the stat of the day that, that I'll end with because um, I just, just confirmed it, just looked it up. Uh, the, the Rams, five sacks uh, last night, now 43 for the season, which is fourth best in the NFL. 43 sacks. Last season, they had 41. So they already have two more sacks than they did all of last season, regular season, with still three games remaining. So I think we got a little bit skewed kind of looking at Aaron Donald. Everybody was wondering, you know, early on in the season, why isn't Aaron putting up 20 sacks, which is just, it's absurd when you, when you think about it that way. Why isn't he getting 20 sacks? Well, because you're not supposed to do that. Um, But he's had another great season, but really across the board, I mean, Aaron, uh, you're playing off of some of those outside guys. I mean, we, we talked in the past about Clay Matthews being such a good addition. Dante Fowler has come on, uh, had a great season. And then, uh, you know, the, the stuff that they're able to do in the secondary, even just a buy, even if it's just a half second more for those for those front seven guys to, to get to the quarterback, it makes such a huge difference. And, and I think that's the one thing that we're seeing um, you know, since these trades, since these acquisitions and such have, have taken place, is it's just allowed them to to play with a little bit more freedom, especially up front, and and, and get after some of these quarterbacks. So, so that's going to be very very important here over the last three weeks because Jake, we can still talk about the playoffs. It's now uh, the the Rams are still, and should be noted, they're still on the outside looking in. Uh, at eight and five, they are still a game behind Minnesota for the uh, second wild card spot in the NFC. Uh, they could still technically catch Seattle for the uh, for the second or for the first wild card spot, and and I think I, I'm not going to get out my my abacus here. I, I think they could technically still win the division if some <laughs> wild wild scenario took place, but I, I'm not even going to go down that road. But uh, Jake, it, it's a pretty narrow focus at this point. But uh, the, the Rams need to look at their own games, and then they kind of need to look at what's going on in the NFC North because. They, the Rams, sit at 8-5 and five with games, as we know, at Dallas, at San Francisco, and then home against Arizona. Minnesota finishes next week, hold on, at the Chargers, and then Uh-oh. the following week home against Green Bay, and then the last week at home against Chicago. That's not an easy set, Jake. I mean, you, you can talk about whether the Rams are going to get to uh, 11 and five if they win out maybe they go 10 and six if they lose to San Francisco which wouldn't be shocking uh, but that Minnesota set the Chargers are not a bad team uh, they have a bad record but they're not a bad team uh, Green Bay is leading that division and even the Chicago Bears are, are coming on here they they just beat Dallas they're they're not uh, they're not a pushover team so it's there Jake so so the question I have is is if you're a Rams fan, can can you swallow your tongue? Can you swallow your pride and and cheer for the Chargers uh, to to beat the Vikings next week? If I'm a Rams fan, I'm trading my horns for the lightning bolt. Oh, you got to go out full in full force here. And I think it would be nice for the Chargers to get some fans rooting rooting for them in Carson. I think that if the Rams fans show up and root for the Chargers, there there's a shot they could beat the Vikings and they're not in in their their record what are they 5 and 8 their record doesn't really tell the whole story of of no. how of what their talent level is and what they can do i mean they they picked apart Aaron Rodgers a few weeks ago so you never know and it's a, a, any given sunday and e- even though the the rams don't have the easiest schedule coming up um, they've. I think that the uh, the the one roadblock that they may run into is San Francisco. And again, nothing really matters in, unless the Rams take care of their bus- take care of their own business. So they either have to win out or at least win two of the next three. And it would be nice if the Chargers could help out their uh, L.A. counterpart in uh, in in beating in beating the Vikings. But yeah, these schedules are. Are, are they're they're they both are, are not the toughest schedules in the world but they're they're tricky enough to where uh 
you could you could see the Vikings, uh, you know, falling against the Chargers. But it's uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough a tough road uh, towards the postseason. And again, nothing really matters unless the Rams take care of their own business. I, I think that they're catching Dallas at just the right time. Dallas is kind of going downhill and nobody really wants the NFC East. It's sort of a up for grabs type of type of deal. It's I, I don't under really understand what's going on over there, but no one seems to want want to make the playoffs. The Rams obviously do. They've been showing that the last few weeks that they do and that they're still in it. So, you know, all I have to say to everyone is buckle up. No question about that. It's going to be a wild ride over over the last three weeks here. And yeah, Jake, you know, it, it, you can't. It's very hard to predict here. And I've had some Rams fans on on Twitter saying, you know, oh, if the Rams went out, you know, it, it, you know, they don't even need the Chargers to to win that game. If the Packers lose one game, blah blah blah. And it's that people are very very smart and have come come up with things that even I didn't think of. But I, I think Jake, I look at it kind of realistically. Uh, I'm looking at the 49ers and I'm going, these guys are not going away. I mean, I don't know how many times I've sat here and said, eh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, they got, they got tough, you know, schedule to finish. Ah, they've never been here before. And then they just keep winning these games. And at some point you just have to say, you know what? These guys, they aren't going away. And, uh, you know, to, to think that the Rams are going to go up there and and win that game, potential, that potentially could be a game that allows the 49ers to clinch the division or maybe even clinch a, a first round uh, playoff buy. So I, I think that's a, a game where the 49ers are going to be highly motivated. So, uh, Jake, I'm looking at it realistically and and I pencil that one in as a loss for the Rams. And don't don't get mad at me, everybody. I'm not a 49ers fan, but I just I'm looking at it realistically and I say that's a loss. Dallas is a win. Arizona is a win. That gets the Rams to 10 and 6. So that means you you have to get another team, probably the Vikings, down to 10 and 6 because the Rams under pretty much every scenario I think have the tiebreaker over the Vikings. So if you if you can get the Vikings down to 10 and 6, then then you probably have the Rams in the playoffs. Uh, and, but that means losing two of the last three. So uh, whether it's any combination of the Chargers, the Packers, or the Bears, however you think you can get two losses out of those three games, uh, that's what you need to. That's what you need to be hoping for if you're a Rams fan. And and how about this? How about the Minnesota Vikings with with Kirk Cousins, uh, who 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 has basically said he he owes his career to to Sean McVay because of their time together in, in Washington. It's it's now basically. Kirk Cousins versus Sean McVay uh, to, to, to make the playoffs. So, Jake, I, I think we talked about in the last episode about how it, it's different. You know, it's, this, is not, uh, this is not the Rams of 2017, 2018, where they're just wiping everybody out and cruising to the playoffs. But in a way, it's fun, right? I mean, I know fans are, are losing their hair and, and, you know, biting their nails and everything else. But uh, uh, to have these these games in in December that mean so much, and to be talking about all these fun scenarios, I, I think if if you can step away from it as a Rams fan uh, and step away from from that uh, uh, that angst a little bit, it it sure is fun to watch, isn't it? I think it's the best situation for any fan of any sport. Obviously, you want to make the playoffs. You you want your team to be there, but in terms of watching, not only watching your team's games every single second and being on the edge of your seat, but also the scoreboard watching is fun as well to be able to sit there and, and watch a Monday night football game between the Vikings and the Seahawks and really be invested in something like that. And then getting your hopes up when the Seahawks beat the Vikings and then the momentum of the Rams completely taking out the Seahawks. It's a, it's a fun story to follow and I think that it's these types of teams that face adversity towards the end of a season that have, I think, a better shot at, at performing well in the playoffs because they've been tested. They've already been tested. I'll give you uh, an example in baseball where the Dodgers sort of coasted towards their uh 
NL West title, their seventh consecutive one. They didn't really have any meaningful games down the stretch. And then their first meaningful games was in the first round of the NLDS and they end up losing to the Washington Nationals. I'm not saying it's because they didn't play any meaningful games, but they weren't necessarily tested. And I think that a team that is tested, that is going to be tested, has a better shot at performing well in the playoffs. But then there's also the uh, the notion that they could miss the playoffs. So there's that drama as well. And when you consider all of it, it's it's going to be a fun ride no matter what. Yeah, I, I just want it for the noted for the record that Jake is the one who brought up the Dodgers choking in, in the playoffs. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't me, um, but I, I agree with you 100 percent, Jake. It's you, you want to be on more stable ground than, than the Rams are right now. But but you also want to be playing your best. Uh, at, at the end of the season, you see that happen a lot in baseball with those with those wild card teams, and uh, it certainly can happen in football too. Where if, if you've got everything clicking uh, heading into the playoffs, that's where that's where you want to be. So if you're the Rams, you'd, you'd like to be sitting with a couple more wins right now and and have teams chasing you rather than being chased. But uh, in, in terms of the style of play and and where they are right now, um, they're, they're in a pretty good place. They're, they're they're playing as well as they have all season, if not better. So the timing is right, and now we'll just see. If how these games shake out. I really can't wait. And of course, we will be back with everybody on Friday to preview that big uh, Rams-Cowboys game. Both Jake and I will be headed down to Dallas to, to cover that game. So we will give you a full preview. We'll have stories on the Athletic app and website this week to uh, look forward to that big game. And Jake, what should uh, the good people expect uh, from CBS to Los Angeles uh, heading into that game? Well, as you know, Rich, we're going to be out at practice every day uh, and we're going to have updates every Every night on uh, Sports Central on KCAL 9 at uh, 1045 during the week on Sundays. It'll be uh, again 430 starting on CBS 2. Uh, that's an hour show. And then later on at night, it'll be uh, 1030 p.m. on Channel 9 and 1130 on Channel 2. It's a little confusing. So as they say, check your local listings if you want to follow the Rams. And then we also have the, the coaches show with G- uh, with Jim Hill. He sits down with Sean McVay and, and a number of the other coaches and they break down plays from the previous week, which is really cool and fun you know, behind the scenes look. And I believe that airs on Saturdays. So uh, watch out for that. Follow us on Twitter as always. And uh, we'll uh, see you. uh, Well, we'll see you later on in the week, but then we'll see you again in Dallas. Absolutely. Love that coaches show. And yeah, I I love having the coaches sit down and, and, and break down, uh, film and specific plays and, and things like that. I, not long ago, I saw Joe Barry on there doing the, the same thing and uh, very, very instructive if, if you're a fan or even a journalist <laughs> to, to learn things uh, about what the Rams do and, and about what coaches try to accomplish. So love that show and uh, love all the great uh, work at CBS2 Los Angeles, Channel 2 and Channel 9. So definitely keep the dial there. Dial. How old am I? People don't even have a dial anymore. Keep the channel Rich, I, there. Good Rich, grief. I said check your local listing. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out my AARP card and uh, and uh, get my get ready. But uh, do follow along with us on Twitter, as Jake mentioned. Jake is at Reiner underscore Jake R E I N E R underscore Jake. I am at Rich underscore Hammond. We'll have updates from practice for you all week. And then we'll be back with you on Friday to cover another big game, preview another big game, Rams and Cowboys. Can't wait to get down there. And it's it's going to be fascinating there in, in the Jerry Dome. So thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for all your support, comments, reviews. Uh, any critiques that you have, anything that you want to hear, let us know on Twitter and we'll be glad to oblige. So thanks everybody for listening and we will be back with you on Friday.